0: So today what we're going to do is we're going to have a a webinar on Accreditation 101, what everyone needs to know. A little bit of background is the DLG Policy Center has been writing policy and procedure manuals for department for about a decade. And interestingly, accreditation has always been part of our operations. We think it's a go-to, whether it was state or Calia accreditation, and we think that it has a a baseline standard. Recently, in November of this year, we were lucky enough to bring uh, Joe Race on full-time as our accreditation expertise. And a little bit about Joe is uh, Joe's been a policy consultant here at DLG for, uh, I think, about five years now, right? And But during that time, he was also a captain with the Madison Police Department here in the state of Connecticut and very much into accreditation, both state and Calia accreditation. And the key for us on the DLG policy team is... You know you would expect most policies are going to cover certain things policy they're going to cover law right because that's the core areas they're going to cover operational standards uh Mm -hmm. and they're going to cover and they should cover accreditation standards you know and so joe has come on board and in in over in the fall of 2021 we started to look at a lot of the reform bills across the country And we're sitting in a state where accreditation, some form of accreditation, will make it into a mandatory application in a few years. And so this really started a conversation that was occurring by different entities about the importance of accreditation. And because I was able to bring Joe in as a full-time employee and as our accreditation uh, representative, I wanted to just, uh, we were having a conversation and I just said, hey, you know what? it's time that we really start having this Accreditation 101 discussion, like what everyone needs to know. Cause for most people, accreditation is one of two things. It's that, oh hell no, I want nothing to do with that. Or it's for some people, their life. And I think for you, it might've been pretty close to your life. So Joe, why don't we start out just a little bit uh, uh, about you and your involvement in the accreditation world. Well, first,
1: thanks. Um, good morning, good afternoon for everyone that's out there. Um, so a little bit about me. I. I did accreditation for almost 10 years. It was, um, it was my life. Is that how
0: you get that little t- twitch and it that is, little it's,
1: it's, um <laughs> I'm a full Kool-Aid drinker. I believe in the process. I believe in what it does for agencies. I've worked very hard uh, in my own department uh, before I retired mm-hmm. and with clients right now to really help them you know, embrace the, the accreditation thing. Like you said, it's either you're full in or you're scared of it. And what we wanna do is make people understand mm-hmm. that there's more to it. There's, there's a middle ground and we're gonna help you get through it. But as I got into it, I did um, I got an accreditation manager for almost 10 years. Uh, I'm a CLIA assessor. I was a Prison Rape Elimination Act auditor. So I've, I've really been involved in various facets of accreditation. And, because I think it's important and I believe in the process. And I think that's what, hopefully today, what everyone will understand is that it's, when it's not, a, it's scary, it's a big process. I mean, we know that. And
0: that's the challenge, right? i mean we're gonna we're gonna really the goal here today so everybody understands and you can decide whether you want to stay with us or not but the goal here is in this one to talk about myths right uh i have i have been doing policy and procedure our team has been doing policy and procedure work involving accreditation for a decade and over that time i'm not an accreditation guru i've learned a lot about accreditation uh the hard way and and usually the challenge with that is um, I'm either frustrated in a few different ways. The first frustration is I'm dealing with accreditation manager who can't see beyond accreditation, right? Very bureaucratic in its application. The book says we have to have X. And I'm like, well, okay, well, yeah, but, but. yeah, but. And then the second part is, uh, you know, police executives who realize that they need to have accreditation. So they say to somebody like you, go get us accredited. But there's no integration of accreditation into the into the the fabric of the department it's just something we do and i used to laugh and the key is i used to think attorneys could clear a room i have found out that accreditation managers can clear a room faster because when cops see an accreditation manager coming all they see is oh crap where's the proof (laughs) <laughs> right. You saw my presentation
1: at the U.S. Yeah. Summit, right? Yes, just, anyway, yes, <laughs>
0: all right. So let's dive into this a little bit. And, and I want to start out with just on the non-expertise of accreditation, but the focusing on policies and procedures. And, and the key area here is that everybody needs to have this discussion. And mm-hmm. the key is I see people say all the time, uh, accreditation is a defense to liability. And whoever's telling you that is a 100% misrepresentation of information. I believe, personally, DLG, and the only thing I can control is is the name on the wall behind us. But other than that is I believe, personally, that accreditation is a benefit. Uh, Anytime we limit inconsistency amongst departments and departments that are working near each other, that there is a benefit to that. But I have always called accreditation the basement floor and for those of you that don't have basements that's the thing underneath of our house (laughs) right the basement floor meaning i personally think everybody should be at a basic accreditation level but for the liability issue which people I you know we often see some of the entities out there will say oh this is going to help you with your liability you will never hear dlg say that we will say we are focused on constitutional policing and we hope that it will help you with your liability. But the one thing that we want you to be aware of is after eight years of being a litigator in police defense group, uh, in police misconduct cases, I never walked into a federal courthouse and had a judge say, Oh, Eric, your client's accredited. Oh yeah. We can go home. It's it,
1: What I would say to that, it, it that's true. And I think except like it, it doesn't get you out on summary judgment, but what it'll do hopefully is it makes you look at your procedures. Right. And so it's not, going to defend you from liability per se but if you're keeping up to date on on case law and standards on constitutional policing principles hopefully it does help you in that role just not it's not a it's not a shield and I think that some some people have that idea that this is they're going to hold it up in front and be safe but there has to be more to it and I think that's that's how we approach it is it's part of it it's part of uh, overall you know liability strategy if you will but there's no nothing is going to protect you 100 percent and that it's going to make you day in and day out look at your operations, and that's what's going to help you in the liabilities.
0: And and that's a great point, Joe, because that's the important part of this, is that it's making you continue to evaluate what you see. The old days of policy and procedure operation, which all of you, and see, let me just make sure I start here, take a pause here too, because the key to this webinar is everybody who's watching it probably doesn't need it. (laughs) right true because everybody that's watching it is like oh is probably an accreditation junkie like is probably already well versed in the application so you know it, it, and that's one of the things that we're trying to push here at dlg is that we want to make sure that we can get this uh to the next level which is this has to be more than just an accreditation manager job this has to be a command staff job this has to be a supervisor's job this has to be a police executive, a CEO, a sheriff, knowing exactly what the big picture is and not just allowing somebody in the back room to, hey, are we going to make accreditation this time? That, that's, that's not making it the fabric operation, right?
1: It has to be institutionalized. And I think it takes, when we talk about how long this process is going to take, that's it. It has to be, it takes years because it's, it's getting the policies. It's, it's the officers and other staff members generating proofs. And over time, it just, it will become the way you do business, but it has to be buying from the top. It has to be, and it takes a lot, as we know, to get a room full of officers to get involved, uh, to get them to believe in the process. So I think with that, it, to to become that fabric, and I think that's why it's so important we get on this now, again, looking in Connecticut, December 31st, 2024, being a, a tentative deadline right now. Um, well, it's the, it's the law right now. It could, could it change. It is what it is it right is. now, right? Um, but, it's going to take that long and then some to institutionalize. I mean, it'll take that long to get your policies done, but it's going to take a cycle or two to institutionalize these ideas. And and when I've had the luxury of traveling across the country to different CLIA on sites and different departments, you can see the departments that have, have institutionalized this whole process. And it's it becomes a, a fine working machine. But it wasn't easy. And there's no every accreditation manager, every chief that started the process will tell you, it, it's a battle to get everyone on board and understand probably because of the, all the myths that are out there, that it's, you know, it, it just takes buying, and it, it's hard as we know to get to get cops to buy into a lot of things, and this this takes a lot of it. And you know, I said the harmful part, I guess, not the harmful part, but in the House bill in Connecticut in particular, for those of you in Connecticut with us, it's put in a, it's a, it's a noble endeavor, but to have it worked into this this legislation, I think, does it a disservice, and it kind of it makes does. it a challenge because everyone looked at this bill, is punitive. So when they look at it now they're saying why are we being punished to do it and it should never be like that and that wasn't the point of accreditation and it shouldn't be the point or the philosophy of accreditation so that's what we have to overcome as well with with this you know the troops on the ground they have to understand that this isn't punishment but it's going to help you do your job in the
0: future and and that leads us to our second myth which is one of my favorite myths which is accreditation is not equal to constitutional policing um, and unfortunately, I say that, and I, I get a lot of pushback for that. And I get a lot of, uh, you don't appreciate accreditation. A lot of times, you know, someone's gonna pick up the phone and call Craig Hartley or Travis over at Calia and complain about me. And and I like the opportunity to be able to defend myself and say, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is accreditation, Kalia, or the state accreditation never came out and said, hey, if you do everything we tell you to do, You've done constitutional policing. And and I don't think it's possible in a world where constitutional interpretation is a continuous process of legal cases that any accreditation would try to meet a constitutional policing application. And remember, one thing is that we do have departments in this country that are accredited under Department of Justice consent decrees. And if you're if you're willing to step back for a second and go, wait, how's that? How's that happened? Like, how, how can you be accredited and be under a Department of Justice consent decree? And the answer is because accreditation gets you to the where where you should be. It doesn't get you to where you need to be.
1: Well, that's been our discussion for for ten years as long right. as I've known you. I mean, right. I, we've had that that you know, back and forth. But I think we said before the foundation accreditation is your foundation, right. and. I think whether it's a clear state will will, can acknowledge they're not giving you a policy manual, right? They're giving you standards to follow that should be included in your policy manual. I mean, they're implying in their even in their model, that there's more that has to be in there. And I think, you know, we'll talk about some of the standards as we get into it. But if your standards, if all you use is a standard, you're missing a lot of information because the standards themselves will say you have to have a process for something. And if your policy says we have a process for something. You're missing out because c- what's the process? That's right. what we need to know, and right. so that's what when we we talk about constitutional policing being broader than um, you know, accreditation. Again, we we agree that accreditation is is again a noble endeavor and it's important, um, but there has to be more to it. Again, you can't. calia and the state are not giving you a policy manual; they're giving you standards to incorporate into that manual. I think which, that's the important. Which means there's discretion. There's discretion.
0: That's the issue. And then let's the last myth that we'll hit on, which we'll get into more detail on these myths, but but I love uh, when they love, because most of you who do accreditation are gonna to love to hear this come out of our mouth, hoping that your boss is hearing, it is listening to this is that it's not easy and it's not a quick process. It, it takes time and it takes money and it takes energy to do it correctly in order to make that the fabric.
1: I mean, if you haven't, um, as we've been around and Eric's been around and I've been around to different departments and you ask them, you're like, tell me about your policy manual. And they kind of look at you and you say, One of you has a manual that's slightly canted on a piece of paper. It's been photocopied so many times that every dust spec in the last 25 years is there.
0: Still got typewritten print on it. And you still,
1: there's whiteout and everything. And you say, no, please don't raise your hand because you don't want to single them out. But there's policies like that. If you're there, this isn't a a two-year process. This is three, four, five years that it's going to take. I mean, and, And not to disparage your department or anything like that. It's just going to take a lot of work to get the policies up to speed and then throw accreditation in on top of that. And you, it's not just that you, you finish your policies, you flip a switch, you get to be accredited. I have to prove you're doing it. Right. So there's the policy drafting component and then there's the proof component, which it's years.
0: And, and one of the things that we see all the time is we, when we start our policy projects with DLG, mm-hmm. we, we estimate about 18 months for a brand new policy manual. And most people will always start and say, oh yeah, we're gonna do it quicker than that. And we look at them and go, okay well you you think so and then some people three years later we go are you ever going to finish this thing like it's become uh I, we got to give a shout out to one of our bigger agencies uh bridgeport pd lieutenant Manicato, who who really just took the took the bull by the horns in a, in a city where people say well i always get small towns we can't do this I'm like well listen if if the chief and Manny can do things in Bridgeport. You can, you can do them. You can, it's just how much effort are you willing to put into it? All right. So let's jump in because we want to make this valuable um, for everybody here. So let's jump into the, the aspect of what does it mean, Joe, to be accredited in, in your world? And if you're telling, if a police chief calls you up and like, Hey Joe, you know, we think accreditation is what we need to be. What does it mean to you? Well, first,
1: I mean, the first concept is it's voluntary. Um, In Connecticut, we're changing that. A few other states have changed it. But it should be something you want to do. So that's where we start. But it's adherence to the best practices. Now, the best practices come from NTOA, IACP. It comes out of case law. It comes out of um, consent decrees. I mean, there's all sorts of information. And then, well, the standards themselves. Um, But you start to look at all these things as you build, build your policy manual, build what you can be. And as you look at that, you work it into your department and you look at the, and you take your your policy manual as, as the foundation and you start to finesse it. And that's what we do a lot with our clients is we help work in there to make it work for your agency. Right. Can we call it
0: departmentalized. Departmentalized. Because because you know we're not we're not selling books here, and that's what that's what we see. we get. Other people might sell policy books. We don't sell policy books because we we think that if you just sell a policy book, it's a band aid. It's not it's not addressing the issues. We want the department to flip over some stones. We want them to really look at what they're doing and why they're doing it, and then we're going to kind of look at them and say, why are you doing that? Uh, and, and no, nobody knows right
1: <laughs> and that's it well and that's I mean you've said it thousands of times in your training if you don't know why you're doing it stop
0: stop <laughs> now we got
1: to change it we got to fix it and so many departments do it and listen law enforcement is steeped in history and tradition we know that um, but we're some of the slowest to move we, we don't want to change anything we hate change we hate the way it is we know all that so it becomes a challenge and that's why when we talk about you know departments want to get through in six months and then 18 months two years later it's because of those challenges of we're going to challenge you to change your policies. Right. And we're gonna make you look at it and make sure that the lieutenant, the captain, the sergeant, all have duties in these policies and that, and then we're gonna make you do them. And I think that becomes, that's where it starts to slow down when all of a sudden, again, the standards are there and that, that's great. And that's the minimum you need. We're gonna help you get other standards in there that are gonna help you function as an agency. And I think that's the important
0: part. Now, I mean, what should me reaching an accreditation standard? What should it mean for a department?
1: I think it's huge. I think that it needs to be, it's a badge of honor, whether you're looked at on on the state level or not. I mean, even if you get state accreditation, it's a badge of honor and it should be looked at nationally. You go down the CLIA path um, or IACLEA if you're a university, that's a national recognition, international recognition. And I think that's huge. I think we don't give it enough credence, I think within the agency, you know, so many times you see officers that say, um, well, this is the chief and the accreditation manager, But that couldn't be further from the truth because the chief and the accreditation manager aren't generating proofs. It's the officers, it's the staff that are out there writing reports and keeping track of things and and making documents and dispatchers are dispatching calls and we're getting sound bites. It's all those little things. That's where our proofs come from. So it is a department wide award and they all need to acknowledge that. I mean, it's nice to get uh, your name plate with with the clea symbol on it or, or state symbol of you know as it may be and that's great but i think it needs to be more i think it needs to be hyped up in the community again if you're talking about i mean spending a lot of money and a tremendous amount of manpower to get right. this done your community expects it and i think that's important and your community needs to know what you've done to get there so i think it's um we need to make even a bigger deal than we do some some places do it up right you know we tend to be a little more reserved here in new england and we tend not to but it really should be hyped up and and they should make a big deal. The department should, it should be part of an award and everyone should understand that they contributed to it. It's not just just the boss and the accreditation manager, everyone contributed to it or it wouldn't happen. And they need it, to get that.
0: And, and it's something that the community should be aware of. They Absolutely. should be, they, they. you know, there's always, you know, there's always going to be bad publicity. And sometimes we have to take back the narrative a little bit and we got to have some good publicity and and talk about the work and why it's important. And, and that was where I think you and I got so upset with the state legislative here in Connecticut, where they legislated that. And and you said it perfectly that made it punitive. And, and we don't want, this is, this is not in one, it's an unfunded mandate we know how much work it takes. We know how much time it takes. It's not gonna go well. It already became a negative. And we are like, well, we would rather have incentives for getting it done. And I think we saw some incentives by the federal government. There was, there was some, about a year and a half ago, there was some discussion out there that you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to get federal funding or federal grant funding unless you met an accreditation standard. I said, okay, well, we gotta be careful with that. Make sure everybody has equal opportunity, right? That's the key. But, but we gotta make it a positive. All right, so let's go. Home. Um, just for those that may be tuning in that are not the ones that do this as a job, what does is, what is accreditation entail? A
1: lot. I mean, the <laughs> short answer is a lot. It's, um, first, there's the monetary, and that's the first question. How much is it gonna cost me? Um, listen, you have to get some sort of online uh, document management system. Uh, if it's the CLIA world, DMS is mandated, you have to have it.
0: Um, and and just so everybody just to be to be transparent and clear in DLG because all of our clients are are, are leaving meeting some accreditation standard whether they accept it or not. Uh, we do all of our policy manuals in Power DMS. We have a very good working relationship with Power DMS, and we push Power DMS as much as possible to make it operationally sound to bridge that gap, uh, using technology with, uh, you know, with proofs in folders in 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 all the applications
1: It also becomes consistent for for auditors or mock auditors mock assessors you know regular assessors because it's we're going to learn so many different kinds of software and as we know in any agency there's a plethora of softwares that we're all using so this keeps the format pretty much the same and it helps out but it costs so there's a cost associated with it it's by the size of the department um so that's your first cost then the second cost is the accreditation fee itself and some state programs there's no cost right now um and there's a benefit to that then you know obviously the CLIA program does have a a fee associated with it but i think you know the cost is listen you're asking somebody to come in and look at your your policies and look at your operations and hold you to task and that's the important part so the cost aside this is it's a good thing for your agency and the cost shouldn't be a deterrent i mean budgeting is what it is um but that's it's it's tough but then you get into the next part and and it's the people it's the man hours and that's the one thing that um probably one of the top questions we get you know, one is about the building the second one is do i have to put an accreditation manager in there full time
0: so let's ask it what, I, can you do this without assigning uh responsibility in a department
1: no i mean i don't i think at some point you could transition away from a full-time person potentially depending on the size of your agency that first time through especially as you're drafting a policy manual. It needs to be a consistent person. It needs to be somebody who's involved, um, who believes in it. I mean, it has to be somebody who believes in your organization. Uh, They have to have enough knowledge about the organization and about law enforcement to make it work. I mean, you could have the most energetic second year patrolman, um, but if they don't understand the bigger picture of, of accreditation and quite honestly, for those that have looked at the accreditation standards, there's high level executive um reports being generated here and whether you, you you might not have enough base knowledge to do staffing studies and analysis of that level so it has to be somebody who knows but it also has to be somebody you don't necessarily want somebody who's on their way out the door and, and is done with stuff either because that's not going to work they have just to just taking believe. the overtime yeah they have mm-hmm. to believe in it um it, it can be a civilian i have I've no problem with you know there's some benefit to that and that they don't get promoted out at some point um but it has to be, you have to dedicate a person or, in the, or, a, or a team. I mean, it's um, one person definitely has, a, has to be your accreditation manager. Um, and I always would say, you know, it takes a lot of time. Again, it's gonna be a full-time job and don't use it as your light duty assignment. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, there's a body we can use and they should assist in there, but you need consistency as you go through this process. Cause some of the things I look at even as an assessor I'm going to look at your files. and I want to make sure they're set up the same way. And if they're not, I, I know two people who are in there and I'm going to start to look at that. Um, so that's just a little, I mean, again, you have to have, it's that consistency is going to be so important. Um, and again, I mean, if, you're not going to, if you're not going to invest all the way, then don't do it at all. And it, this isn't a halfway project. It's really hard to do it part-time. It's really hard to have somebody do this on overtime. You know, if you're in a, a quieter department, you might think, well, our, our midnight boss can work on it. They can't. I mean, there's stuff, and again, I love accreditation, but there's some minutia. There's some there's some files where you're in there, you cannot pull your head out of there, and you can't be listening to the radio while you're trying to decipher some of these and find mm-hmm. proofs. Mm-hmm. So it, it really takes, you got to dedicate somebody, um, especially at the beginning. And then, you know, from there, it grows into uh, the inspections and the training, and there's so much other stuff that goes in there. This person also needs to connect with organizations like their police accreditation coalition, other accreditation managers, you know, I'll tell you, don't reinvent the wheel, right? We have it, um, other creditors have it and it goes down <laughs> the street <laughs> and we'll share it. Like it's not, it's, you know, listen, if it's within the government, we need to share it, right? That's how this works. Right. So I've created checklists that I think are good. Um, I've talked to other people, have better ones and, and we merge these together and, um, you will develop friends that are going to help you get through it because you can't do it alone. And I think, you know, too many, you know, we get young accreditation managers and there's a lot. They get assigned to it. They don't know where to start. And they feel like got to take on this world by themselves. And absolutely not. Like, right. reach out. We have accreditation managers. Listen, we don't get very much time in the spotlight. So I want to share what I can. I want to give you what I have and come out of my cave and come see yours for a little while.
0: And, and, I, and this is where I want to take an opportunity just on my side. And that is speaking to the executives and to command staff. One of the things I don't have any problem with the civilian accreditation managers either, except for this, except for the fact that sometimes you have such a good civilian accreditation manager, the department and the command staff of the department just lets them do their thing, and oftentimes we'll get an accreditation manager who is just concerned about checking the accreditation boxes, and so they'll we'll give them a policy, and they'll gut the policy and just leave the accreditation stuff in there. We're like, well, no way, you can't do that. Like it's a pursuit policy, it's a use of force policy, it's a sexual harassment policy. Um, and and because there's no oversight by a command staff, um, I think the best ones are people like you who have done the job and understand the difference between the two, like walking that line, accreditation okay. and operations. And
1: it has to be, I mean, it can't be completely literal. and. I think that's the the accreditation manager when you have to be creative. Um, If you're extremely black and white and very literal, it could be difficult because the way you prove things, that's, um, that's your canvas. That's where you get to get creative. You know, whether it's sound bites videos Um, I found ways to get creative and everywhere I go someone else does. And and that's the fun thing. But if you're very literal and think, you know, proof is a written document and and it it can be tough. And so it has to be, you really I think you want to look at for your accreditation manager, whoever that's going to be the same way you look for any other position. I mean, you want certain skills and qualities in an investigator. I mean, you're going to want skills and qualities for your accreditation manager because it's it's that important to your organization.
0: Yep. And all right. So let's let's go to our favorite topic, uh, the DLG Policy Center being the host here and and really uh, myself and and Joe and many other many of our subcontractors that work on the policy side. Of the DLG Policy Center, um, let's let's talk about policies, because because how do you separate? Is it okay to separate policies, building policies, operations? How how do you separate those?
1: I think mean, you gotta gotta keep it all together. It has to be easy to find information, yeah. and I think that's one of the. In years past, we would have you know the admin policies, the ops policies, and things are spread out. Um, one, everything's keyword searchable, but it, keep it together, keep it consistent, so it all talks to each other.
0: And and that's our philosophy. We do we do one manual. There's no more. There's no more policies, procedures, general orders, SOPs, rules and regs. Our philosophy at DLG is that our policy manual is ten chapters containing everything that organizes the department. Why would that be more beneficial for an accreditation application?
1: Well, first we cross reference it, so it's it, we hyperlink it, and which makes it easy to find. But it's you you have to be able to find the information, and I think for an accreditation manager. You can't be looking all over. I mean, listen, when it comes time for accreditation, it's stressful. So everything needs to be laid out. You know, as we work through it, we link all the accreditation, whatever it is, whatever standards you're looking for, we link it because we want you to be able to find it um, because it just it has to lay out uh, correctly. But I mean, I'll start with the idea, like we said at the very beginning, you're, just the standards alone isn't going to be enough. So if that's all you have, again, that's your foundation and that's great. But, you know, a couple of things that we've seen as I've gone through... Um, again, people just drop the entire standard right in there. That's, it could work on a few standards, not going to work for most of them. Um, some of the things I think if your policy starts with, or the sentence or this section starts with the agency will, and you're talking about yourself in the third person, I know you just snipped it from somewhere and and (laughs) I'm going to start asking questions, (laughs) right? Because you have to again, departmentalize it, just change it to the XYZ police department will, it's fine, but you know, it might help, but there's little things that show me again the policy, the standard is, is, a, is your foundation. You have to build from there. there. There's going to be more stuff you need to add again to make it work. And even clear. will, you know, tell you, these are the minimum standards. You can always exceed them. You can always add more. And if you're a chief or a sheriff or CEO, you want to talk about what do you want from your agency? This is your chance. This is your chance to say, Clea says, we do this once. We want to do it twice a year. We want to do it four times a year. And that's your opportunity. Again, I guess that's that's your canvas as a as a chief to do that. Let me push you a little bit
0: and tell you about this one. So, yeah. All right. so you you have your you have your uh, you have your accreditation standard, and then you have your interpretation of the standard. You have your you have commentary. your your comments related to the standard. When you're developing the policies, how do those two work hand in hand into a department policy?
1: Well, the so the standard is mandatory. You have to comply with the standard. Um, the commentary is suggestive, it's directive, it helps you create your policy. Now I'll tell you that I think you want to have a lot of that language in there, again, where you can, because it helps it helps clarify the point. Uh, you know, as we said, the standard is, is the basement. And now we're gonna start to build a little bit on it. And I think the you gotta commentary build a does house. you gotta build a house. Right. And I think the commentary, and quite honestly I'll tell you, as I've watched over the last couple of years and um I've had this conversation repeatedly, Things that work their way into the commentary, if, if you follow the um, CLIA Standards and Review Interpretation Review Committee, SIRC, when they make their changes and proposed changes, you see things that work their way into the commentary. If you've been paying attention for the last couple of years, it works its way into the commentary. About two years later, it works its way into the standard. And I think um, issues like crisis intervention, de-escalation, um, mental health and wellness tr- uh, training and response, those were, came through the commentary. So I think... I look at the commentary as things to come and i I say it all the time i said it at a meeting this morning that it's important to watch that but it's that's important to to how you address your or how you write your standard or how you write your policy now when it comes time for your assessment the commentary language isn't mandatory they're not going to hold you to that um but again it it helps clarify that point because remember these are the guidelines for success of your agency so tell your agency. You know, help them find the success and help you know finesse it so that they can understand what you're asking them. Because sometimes, I mean, the standards are very abrupt and to the point. You need more to, to kind of flesh those out
0: and to start to welcome a little walk a little in our world. The policies by themselves are just not sufficient. Uh, and in and, and can you speak a little bit about the the need to not only develop a good policy, and then we used to always say, you know, we used to walk into a department and you have a policy manual up on the shelf. It's got a piece of glass over it with a little hammer hanging off it that says, in case of litigation, break here. Right. Um, the, the difference in today's world is taking that policy and incorporating it into the daily operation of the one who the policy is for. And this is the one thing that drives me absolutely nuts. The older, the older generation, myself included, the, uh, the experienced department members are like, I don't like big policies, I don't like long policies. I want them to be short and concise. And I always look at them and say, it's not for you, right? It's not for you, it's for the brand new officer. We have to teach him or her how to do the job and they're not you. And so what is the, your recommendation of the key mm-hmm. on not only the development of the policy, but then transitioning it into being operationally sound or the men and women that work in the department
1: well, for, they have to train on it and i think that you can't just hey the policy is out there and go for it you have to train on it um, and for accreditation purposes policy review is not training let me say it again policy <laughs> review is not training have i been called out on that <clears throat> i have because um, you try you're like oh we did the read and sign and we're good that's not enough so you have to train on the policy you know the use of force policy obviously you're going to train on that during all your use of force applications but some of the other ones, you know, pursuit, you got to train. There needs to be, you know, a PowerPoint, a test, uh, something beyond just reviewing it. Because at the end of the day, as a CEO or training officer, you want to check that they're reading it. So listen, you don't have to make it a three-hour essay exam, but maybe you want to, your top 10 or 20 points, you want to make those multiple choice questions or something, or you know, to get, make sure your officers are thinking about what's in there. Listen, they're going to be held responsible for it, help them you know, focus on the stuff that's in there that's important, but again, you can't just review the policy. And that's
0: and, and that's where I think this starts to align with litigation because even using um <coughs> excuse me, even using Power DMS to add questions to the backside of a policy review, you're in Chief Reynolds and I have this discussion all the time. You know, we always write and I don't I hate when they add I have I have received this policy. No, no. The, the statement should be, I have reviewed and understand this policy. That's what I need proof of in the litigation world. Not that you just read it. Do you understand it? And that's the benefit that you can get out of adding some test application to it.
1: And, it's, and the question always becomes, you know, <coughs> we do so much on the virtual platform, which is, is great. It, it works. But yeah, you want to check up on that to make sure it's being you know, ingested appropriately.
0: Okay. So let's dive into the next area, which is one of the things that I find surprising, especially after we get to the end of these projects and we give them a, a list of now all the things that they, they've met accreditation standards. And I think one of the most surprising things that I have found over the years of learning accreditation the hard way um, from the application of policy development is how much training is required once you put all those accreditation standards into the policy. Can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Everything has a training requirement. I mean, we'll always tell you, again, from a litigation standpoint, every new toy, tool you deploy has to have has to have a training right. component. And that's a training component before you put it out on the road. Not not let it go out and then do it. Because Murphy's Law says night one will be the night it's used. Right. Um, but it's beyond, guaranteed. It's guaranteed. But beyond that, every other policy, or, uh, vast majority of the policies have a training requirement. You will train on this annually. You will train on you know, uh, your NIMS, uh, policies and the ICS and how that all works out. You have to have a training on that. And again, training isn't policy review. There needs to be a practical application. Um, obviously use of force and pursuits. Um, but you need to be training your employees on your early warning system, internal affairs. It just goes on and on. And then, I mean, there's specialized training for a lot of these roles. If you're a background investigator, you need training. If you're an internal affairs investigator, you need training. If you're the accreditation manager, you need training. Um, you need to train your entire department on the accreditation process before your initial onsite. You know, so it's just, it, there's so many little things in there, yes, some of them are small and can be, you know, a smaller training, a, a few policies, a few PowerPoint slides, a quick quiz, and you're on, but you have to account for that as, as the, as a boss, when you're doing your budget, how do you do it? Do you, you know, pull people off the road and do a, you know, four day death by PowerPoint and just hit them with all the stuff they need to I know? I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Or do you just you know again power DMS? They can do it in the car. They can do it you know between that shift break, whatever. Um, but there's a lot in there, and if you don't budget for that, and, uh, you're going to be left at the end of the year going, "We have all this overtime for you know thirty more hours of training for each officer or whatever it would be It'd probably be that many." But
0: and, and there's something that's important, and for for our critics out there, they'd be like, "Okay, wait a minute, guys, your, your Daga law groups here doing this webinar and they're talking about the importance of policy and the importance of training." And my response to all of you is going to be the same. My mission has never changed here. It's never changed. It will never change. And what I'm proud of is that the, the our clients that use our services, the goal of that is that they are better protected in their daily operations. Can I make them liability proof? No, yeah. of course I can't do that. And what really bothers me is that there's two things that happen all the time. After bad incidents, what we see is, well, we need more training, right? Of course. And then as soon as that's done, what's the next thing that happens?
1: The budget has to go up.
0: The budget got, doesn't go up. Doesn't. So what happens to the training? Cut the training. It cut the training. And, it, and it's an amazing liability application myself, because if you look at the liability portion, the case law out there, one of the easiest ways to hit in a Monell violation is failure to train and calia and accreditation standards are trying to force you into those protections would you agree with that Agree. i think and it's and these are the important things you need to be training on um
1: yeah so i think it's again another way that the accreditation process helps you as an organization it's again yes there's a lot with it but it's like you said it's helping direct you towards the finish line which is to protect yourself and train your agency and your employees and
0: And and I guess the the concern part is, is we use the word finish line, but we hear that a lot too, right? We just want to get it to the finish line. We just want to get it to the finish line. And one of the things that bothers us about is that it's not, it's it's not over, right, Joe? And if you're an
1: accreditation manager and if you ever seen training I've done before, the last slide says it never ends. (laughs) This is, it's it's a journey. Well, for everybody else it does.
0: <laughs> I feel bad for the accreditation manager because as soon yeah. as you're done and you check the box and you get to stand there and get your picture, right? Yeah. And what then, everybody come the next day and see whether you need help with anything. No. <laughs> but I mean, and for those
1: of you, I mean, you're literally, the ink's not even dry and you're changing over to your next, you know, you, did, you just finished in 2020, now you're loading up 21 through 2024 and you're starting to find proofs the next day. I mean, if you're lucky, you get a day off but after that, you're you're back in, and because you can't get behind it, and we'll talk about you know in other trainings, we'll talk about time-sensitive standards, but you get behind on those, that's the quickest way to derail your process. So, as your accreditation manager, it it never ends. So if you need closure, if you're somebody who thrives on closure, this would not be a role.
0: It's not good. This is you're not never going to get to that no, closure. Never. Uh, and you know, I need to I need to finish the projects, and and that's where I, I have difficulty. But that's a great point. So let's move to that, which is. Uh, a lot of bosses don't understand because you know uh the chiefs the command staff okay hey we made it accreditation great let's put john back to the road now because he's got six to eight months before he has to start again we don't really need him yet joe could better use somewhere else what what are these time sensitive standards and, and what's the importance of them if you have the ears of the command staff was it part of
1: it that was the old way and i, I mean you kind of let it slide for a little bit before you jump back in then we stuffed all the paper files we don't do it that way because again in the CLIA world um and perhaps in some of the states they're looking at you every year so one you have there is no you can't let anything slide you have to be back into it right away and looking at it but you need to find a way to track those time sensitive standards Again, getting accredited is is tough staying accredited is even harder and for so many different standards there's you know, annual reviews or annual analysis. And and one thing I would always
0: caution everybody is a review isn't an analysis. And Well, let's talk about that for a second. In your world, what is a review and what is an analysis? A review is
1: is a spreadsheet. It's an Excel spreadsheet. I literally had that question yesterday. Um, it's an Excel spreadsheet. Sure, that's a review. It, it's, it's data. It's just a data. Analysis is looking what's behind that data. You know, if you have a use of force or if you're, you know, what's behind that who's involved who's our suspect who's the officer what type of call are we going to that's leading to this what's the outcome uh, who is injured you know and you start to parse out all this. now you're really looking into the data to see what's behind it because that's where the trends lie and could it be a certain type of call is lending to more uses of force or more assaults on officers and so the analysis is it's really in-depth so it starts with your spreadsheet. Absolutely. That's where you track it throughout the year. But then you're going to look at each one of those cases and let's just take the use of force um, area for the bigger departments. That's a lot. And I know that you're talking hundreds of them a year, but you got to look through all that data and and pull it apart and look at each one again, including who the officer is. And that's, you look at the standards, early warning
0: system, application,
1: early warning system, because that's, you know, is there another issue that needs to be addressed? And that's what, Again, these are the great things that I think about accreditation. And again, I'll geek out on it and we know that, <laughs> but that's where you're, again, you're pulling behind the curtain, looking at your agency and saying, okay, can we do it better? Cause that's what we want to do. We want to do it better for our community.
0: I think this is a perfect leeway into, um, uh, we got a question from Dan who was in one of our former, uh, just recently our advanced IA class. And his question was a great here. How does IA or internal affairs fit into accreditation? and as you started to talk about you know we always talk about in our use of force world our ia world our data collection world our stop data we're looking at that data you're really doing the same thing aren't you
1: yeah i mean hopefully IA isn't generating too many proofs for for calia <laughs> um this but it happens it's it's a natural function of what we do um but it, it ties in when there's a whole chapter on it in Kalia. Um, you know, investigators have to be trained, which is why he went through the class. Right. And that information, like I said, ties into that early warning system, which listen, at the end of the day, accreditation aside, we want to take care of our people and we want to take care of our community and all this information from all these sources feeds together to do that.
0: Okay. And so, um, you know, you have here in your time sensitive application. So just give me an example. Like if, if I didn't know, what is a, what is an example of a time sensitive standard? So
1: a time sensor center be anyone that says annually you will review something uh, annually you review your grievances. Um, so then you, you basically sit down, you take all the grievances filed over the past twelve months. However, you know uh, you look at them, you say you know, who's doing it, what's the source, uh, is there a trend? Again, you're looking at it to say you know accreditation isn't about perfection, it's about progress. So you you look at it and say okay, here's some problems. What's the cause of this? And did we address it? Did we not you know that's it? your new
0: quote, right? I love that. What's that? Sean, you're going to have to make that part. You know, accreditation is not, not about perfect. perfection. It's progress. about progress. I like that. I'm going to make that a new quote for you, Joe. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you want to trademark that now? We should do, we do that, that right, right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you want to
1: look at that and, and keep it going forward. But that's just one of many. I mean, and that's, you know, annually you'll train on firearms. Annually you'll train on pursuits. Um, you know, quarterly you're going to do a, a cash accounting of your, uh, your cash accounts that's a big one in the Clio world, 17.4.2 F. I I have nightmares about it because you have to account for every amount of cash in all of your cash accounts, every quarter, and you have to do an accounting of that. And if you have four or five of those accounts, it adds up. Um, but those sorts of things, again, the reason they're so important and you have to track them and you need a spreadsheet or calendar, um, notations, you can't get behind on those. Like if Mm -hmm. you're looking for a, a proof on a pursuit just in general, it could happen anywhere in that 12-month period. That's not a problem. Right. But if you say I do my use of force analysis by, dis, by January 31st of every calendar year, it has to be done by January 31st. Mm-hmm. There's no, you can't make that up. Um, that makes I'm, sense. I mean, yeah, you can do it and you just have to fall on the sword and say we didn't do it and you're going to take a little, a little knock in the accreditation world, but you can't make it up. And that's why the time sensitives, it, it, I'd say it's probably one of the quickest way to derail your process. If you get behind on those, um, or if you don't keep up on those,
0: and so it's 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 literally a great a great facilitator for forcing evaluations. And in do you think if you're a, a CEO of an organization and you fully understand this, that you could you can harness the power of that to to benefit your agency?
1: I think it's it's guiding you know as you look towards your your budget season, your goals and objectives. It feeds you all this information when it's it's because everything goes through the CEO. Um, so there should be a spot where, you know, whoever did the report signs off on it and there should be a signature block for the CEO showing that the CEO saw this information. Right. Um, so that's really important too. And that's just, you know, another signature block they sign off and now they have this information again, when it comes to, especially in larger organizations, you know, smaller agencies, the chief can walk down the hall knock on somebody's door and get and you know, have that conversation. Right. Right. If you're in a major organization where there's chiefs and multiple deputy chiefs or assistant chiefs they might not be aware of everything on the day-to-day in, in an individual precinct or individual sector. So for them to get some of these reports, it's even more enlightening because again, they're in a bigger agency, you do another they thing. They might just be in their silo. They yeah. might not be looking at the
0: overall picture.
1: Yeah. So this time now they get it all and they can look at everything that's happening. So I think it's, it's a good review of everything that's happening because they're accountable for it. They got to answer for it. And this is, I think you said, a way to direct them towards that information.
0: Okay. So, uh, so then, policies. And in, in our world, we spend a lot of time on the policy side. And usually if a, if a client tells us in the early stages that um, they're they're interested in meeting an accreditation standard, um, one of the things that we'll do right off is, is send you out to do a building audit. Or, because there's the policy standards, and then there's the things that might be a little more difficult. And a lot of times people will say, and this is what we found difficult with the mandatory, you will meet accreditation. Well, that's great. Oh, what if your building is not gonna meet accreditation? What if your radio fence, the fence around your, your radio tower is not gonna meet, are you ready to build those? So talk a little bit about um, about the aspect of accreditation that has to do with everything other than policies and daily operations.
1: Well, the first thing you know, we hear it from chiefs, I can't get accredited because my building. That isn't quite true. I mean, there's gonna be parts of it. But it's not just my building's forty years old, fifty years old. Listen, there's some buildings out there, hundred years old. Yeah. Um, you can I mean, still <laughs> you, you can still get accredited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's small things you're going to have to do. There has to be a fence around your generator. There has to be a fence around your communications facility. You have to limit access into certain parts of your building. Uh, you impound should be, lot. Oh, impound that. lot. I mean, no. you should be doing that anyway. Um, but you should also part of it is to understand the limitations of your building and know how to address those um cuz those are the you know you have to know how to function within your own building so it's not that your your booking cage is old and you're going to fail that that's not true um you might have to then because you don't have a facility maybe you have to have them babysat all night long you have to have somebody sit with them because you don't have cameras that could be the change that you have to make until you get a camera system so you're not going to fail accreditation because you don't have a camera system but you have to have a procedure to you
0: know, cover that overcome yeah. overcome your deficiency
1: and the one thing i would say we probably we'd see a lot of um besides the fencing uh, the external fencing
0: fencing is unbelievable Fencing's big um,
1: yeah. but it's also the other spot you're going to put fencing or divisions is in evidence yes and having a spot for evidence and i know a lot of us a lot of departments you can't have a lost and found uh, so i
0: know we do that but <laughs> you know, this is in school this is we try is it been in the, in the principal because everyone
1: like there? people find stuff they bring it to the pd you know they could be at the park and there's park workers over they're gonna bring it to the pd and be like right. i found these keys right. well you found them seven miles from here and now somebody can't get home but <laughs> so you, we ended up i mean we all have it listen i was there too you have a basket full of stuff that has nobody's you can't have that right found property has to be secured it's evidence right. that's one thing i will tell you you know that means when it goes in your evidence, there has to be a spot for it that needs to be secured. You know, sometimes it's just tossed in a closet where anyone has access. You can't do that. You know, it's limiting that access. Sometimes it's just a lock on a door that only the sergeants or the supervisors have keys. That can be enough. So it, it gets very intimidating. And yeah, Well, I, let's
0: break these down a little bit because I think if there's some value for somebody on this who's just learning. All right, so evidence rooms you know, fences, fences. fences. I, I, I've I've had more conversation about fences over my career than I want to, but evidence room lost and found property. Big deal. Big what deal. else do you see to be some of the real issues focused on evidence rooms?
1: Well, separating out your money, guns, drugs, valuables, you know, having a place for that. Um, it's again, you can't, it just can't just all be in a heap. You have to be able to find it. And it has, to, those things have to be separated. Those are, and then, I mean, that's just the, the structure part of it. Then it's accounting for that. And the when we talk about time sensitives, and, and another training, we'll talk about that in a lot of detail because the time sensitives and evidence are, are make or break. And there's four different ones um, where you got to look at them at different times and look at things. But you have to be able to find your evidence. You have to be able to count for your evidence. Again, sometimes it has to be separated. The other stuff would be you know, temporary evidence lockers. Do you have a spot for... Mm-hmm the officers to put things when the evidence room isn't open because they need to be able to do that. They can't just leave it in a drawer. They can't leave it outside in records. Um, you to have a bulk storage location, you know, again, and how you do that is up to you. It could be, um, a open pen that you put something in, whether it's a bicycle or a bumper um, and you lock it, and then you drop the key so that it's secured so no else can get to it. Again, your procedures can vary, but you just need to make sure you have a procedure on how to do that and that becomes the big thing and i said probably bulk evidence is one of the other big ones that um too many places i've seen you know bikes but you know we find bikes all over town especially college campuses like you
0: know in in in, you know bedroom communities like madison connecticut find bikes you find (laughs) bikes all over
1: and we bring them in and you put them in the sally port and that's not going to cut it that's it's unsecured property and it's not evidentiary in value for a crime but it's still secured property and it can't just be sitting there. So that's one, cause we all use it. We all dump it in the garage. Um, You need to find a procedure for that to make that a little more secure. And as, as minute as that seems, those are the things that I see when I walk around on, on sites. Cause every time you have your assessment team comes, whether they're mock assessors or the real assessors, the full assessors, they're going to walk through. And the first thing I'm going to take me to Sally port and you're going to open the door and there's going to be bikes and a bumper and a, scuba tank who knows what and you're like what is all this oh that's found property and you're like yeah we start making notes and you want me to start making notes
0: so evidence is our one of our 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 challenge areas and the other one well known to be challenge areas is the booking facility Uh, whether it's temporary holding versus medium time holding (laughs) versus long time holding which is all of these challenges so talk about some of the challenges that you see in booking facilities
1: well, first, the definition of temporary holding. Um, it's an ongoing debate. I will tell you, it's still, it was ongoing this morning um, as to what is considered temporary holding. So let's look at your state's definitions because that's very important. Um, you need to really figure that one out. Uh, but then in your holding facility, again, it's going to be how do you work around maybe the age of your building, the um, equipment in your building? You know, do you have a spot for your, your uh, detainees? Are they monitored? Are they monitor, monitored the whole time? Do they have access to a toilet and water? Uh, how long are they going to be in there? If they're going to be in there, do you have provisions to get them uh, food? Do you have um, a place for them to speak with an attorney? Again, little things, I mean, well, big things on the constitutional standpoint, but uh, these are the little things in the that you need to you know have a policy for, including their, their um, personal effects when you bring them in. You know, too often, again, you, you bring them, we put it in a bag, we leave it on the counter. That doesn't work either. It has to be accounted for. And, you know, I'll say a lot, I've said it a lot of places, I know you're doing the right thing. You just have to document it the right way. And right. when you take their, their, and if, we're not good at that. We're not, no, we're not. Cause we're, we're like, just,
0: our, our quality, our law enforcement, you know, we, we can write good reports sometimes. We can do good investigations, but then when you're talking about this is, this is administrative. And this is, this is
1: administrative minutia. And I know yeah. it, but you need to document you know, that what you took from them. It, same thing like when you do a motor vehicle inventory. It's not just, I looked at the inside of the car. I want to know how many pens were in there, you know? So you need to go through all of their stuff and document it. Because here's one thing I always see, and we do it a lot, you know, we don't we don't have, put a lot of people in booking in general. I mean, we we PTA as many as we can, but you need to document it in and document it out. Those two things are, are two proofs. And again, they seem small, they seem minor, but it's important to do that. Because again, what is this, we're talking about the liability protection the protection is if you don't do that someone's going to say after they left your booking i had three thousand dollars in my pocket when i got here and when i got out i don't have it and if you didn't document it on the way in what do you got and i think so it's it's again it seems like minutiae but it's going to protect you from those questions it's the same reason we do community caretaker when we take stuff out of a car we
0: right, document right, it for right, a reason right, yeah. I, and I, I always have to laugh so I can't let you go past this without dealing with fire extinguishers. <laughs> I mean like, does fire does the fire extinguisher company have like a an in an accreditation or something cuz I've never seen more attention to one thing in any of the projects that I dealt with. Door frames and fire extinguishers are ca- caused me to lose a good chunk of hair.
1: Well I think it's all of our deeply held belief that we all should have been firefighters. Oh, got it. Yes, okay. I see what you're saying. So we walk through it. Listen, I hate to say it, you walk past a fire extinguisher, they have the tag, and it kind of flutters when you walk by, and we like shiny objects. You're like, ooh, shiny, and you look at it, and you flip it over, and you're like, that says 1994.
0: Hmm.
1: And you're like, that thing doesn't even have dust in it anymore. I
0: think somebody in the in the beginning stages of accreditation had a business interest in fire extinguishers because it's just
1: <laughs> it's an easy because i mean in their standards say you have to have it so you just kind of look and it it's just always there for the you know mm-hmm. it's so
0: simple so it's an easy it's it's in your marine days it's kind of like a di looking for looking for dust on the top of the light in the light fixture there's because it's easy
1: something. yeah you always know you're going to get it all right and all again when i hear it we're not here no one wants to jam you up on it but it's just something that's there and it, it's very obvious and it was it, it should be done for everyone's safety i mean so it's not just listen no one goes into accreditation i mean i never go into it hoping to gig anybody on anything my goal is to to get us all through it and help you prove what you're doing but if there's something like that that again at the end of the day if we would leave and you have a fire and they're like well didn't you go through here and look at this stuff and we're gonna be like yeah we didn't look at that uh, so it's again it, it's minor but it, it comes up all the time And so just get your fire extinguisher.
0: (laughs) This fire extinguishers. Okay. So let's, let's kind of, as we start to wrap this up because we've kept everybody entertained for at least an hour on a topic that you didn't think was going to be entertaining. And that's accreditation, right? I think Uh, it's entertaining. I know. I know. Well, you're, you're, you like that though. Uh, There is a, there here at Daga law group in the DLG learning center, we are moving forward to deal with a couple of, of, we see a need out there and whenever we see a need we want to develop that need so the need is going to progress into doing a one-day accreditation overview training which is going to be free to anybody that wants to attend it's just a more detailed in each level of the things that we've talked about we are about to release here at dlg an eight week uh, accreditation managers training program, and this is this is something we feel very strongly about, and we've been very lucky that to have Joe come in and and run this program because you know uh, internal affairs investigators, use of force investigators, um, you know accident investigators, we have very specific training for them, but there's not enough training for those individuals to get thrown into the to, into the accreditation aspect, so. As, as as we bring this to an end, let's talk about our last slide here, which is what are the strategies a department should focus on to, to maintain, first to get, and second to maintain accreditation for the long haul? Well,
1: first, I mean, it starts with buy-in and it has to buy-in from from the top, from the CEO. They have to want it. They have to project that to the to the officers. I mean, let's be honest, if the top doesn't think it's a worthy endeavor, it doesn't matter. Who the grinder is down below working on? It. It's never gonna. It's never gonna take hold. So it starts with again the CEO, the command staff have to understand that this is again. You don't just do things for accreditation. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do for your agency. Um, once they buy in as a group, then it's it's working with the officers. And one thing I always found effective at the beginning when we first started was I would go into roll call and I spent time in there to make sure that they understood what, what we were doing. And I would look at them and say, I need these 12 things in your report, or you can do my checklist. And what do you wanna do? And so that they had some input on it. And I think that was really important because then, I mean, obviously the checklist is 10 seconds, it's easier. So that worked out. So it was buy-in, again, we had it at the top, the chief was always on board, then getting the officers to, to understand and buy-in was important. But then for that accreditation manager, it's developing a, a timeline, a strategy, finding a way having a matrix to keep track of the time sensitives first and foremost um, that has to be it you know you have to understand when things are coming up give yourself enough time to get them done again in, in a smaller agency maybe you know doing your use of force annual analysis maybe it, that's a day day and a half project uh, if you're in the bridgeport Hartford New Haven area maybe that's a three-month project um, you know somebody mining through all that data to find it out to figure it out so understanding what you're up against so I guess it's one, understanding the, the process. And if you're brand new, look at the standards. For, I mean, before you even do anything, just open up standards, start playing around, and look at them. Um, again, if you're not even into the accreditation process right now, uh, a lot of states have them out there for free. Just take a look and see what. Read the manual. Read the manual. And read, you, read the manual. You know, I mean, the, that's the key. Yeah. The manual, the definitions. Um, again, the CLIA and a lot of theirs has um, an introduction to each chapter, kind of telling you what they're looking for just to give you an overview before you sit down and, and develop a plan. Again, the time-sensitives are important. We gotta get your policies in, in order first. I mean, so you gotta start there. But then it's, it maybe it's um, calendar notices, so they come up on your calendar, let you know where you're at, but having a process.
0: It requires a specific type of person. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. I mean, that's why we're good at our job, because everybody that we have here is a very specific type of person. Attention to detail, M- meticulous um you know we we use a lot of technology here we know our limitations and that's the key is that you have to know your limitations and 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 just to be clear because i did get a comment from Jackie in City of Portsmouth who said that she respectfully disagrees about the accreditation manager being this should be civilian we didn't say that a, yeah, what we said is that the accreditation manager is i agree with her anyone who's willing to dedicate themselves but there is a need for the sworn component to be involved. If they just make the accreditation manager civilian and nobody helps that person or gives that person the assistance that they need, you're going to have some challenges.
1: Yeah, and I would say, and especially your first time through, if you're brand new to the process, um, I would say it, it will be more challenging to, for a civilian accreditation manager to get buy-in if they're rolling solo. Because, again, there's, there's the credibility aspect that, you know, sworn to sworn.
0: Well, they come walking down the hall looking for proofs and they become like uh, here comes the accreditation manager there needs to be a boss who says hey if he or she is looking for a proof you better give it to him
1: and Uh, and i think it's it's just a you know what i like about the civilian accreditation manager is in theory they won't get promoted out of that position and and listen, a lot of things i'll be honest it got me promoted a few times Um, so you get somebody in there who knows what they're doing and is really doing a good job they're learning all this institutional knowledge they will do well on the next promotional exam. So right. chances are, if, if it's your admin sergeant right now, could be your admin lieutenant in a bit. So right. that's my only, um, it's nice to have that balance. I, having both in there would be perfect. That's a perfect scenario. Working in hand. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you get the consistency of the civilian and the oversight of the sworn, I think can help. But again, that's going to depend on your agency. If you have the resources for that, that's awesome. Um, most departments don't. You have to figure out what's going to work best. And but at the same time, maintaining that program and getting that consistency is what you're looking
0: for. And I, and I want to focus on what we kind of jumped over in this first, uh, in the slide here, that first little bullet point, which is I like how you all, and you say this all the time, anyone can get accredited, but can you maintain it? What do you mean by that statement?
1: What you guys do, if we sell you the book, if we just sell you a book, the first time through your first accreditation is largely based on the policies because you won't have a lot of time to develop the proofs um so again that idea that it's quick that it's easy that someone can get it to you in half the time of anyone else in theory yeah sure i'm sure you can i'm sure you can just if i dumped our, our 900 page manual on you right now today and you had an assessment coming up i i'm confident in what we write that you'd get through it mm-hmm. um it'd be a challenge but you know but i think it's the idea that you need to your first reaccreditation is the hardest and every accreditation manager's been through it will tell you because the first time Again, you're brand new to the system. We want to see your policies, and that's the focus. The second time, prove it. Right. And if you didn't right. have solid policies the first time, now the chinks in the arm are really going to show. and that so now you're you, know, you're seven, eight years into the process. That first reaccreditation is a challenge. That's the one every accreditation manager will tell you they lost sleep over that one. Um, it kept them up at night. It probably it still probably haunts them. And it, it, it did for, you know, for us, uh, for me, we also transitioned to the um, Power DMS at that point, so we went from the paper that was very comforting because we could touch it to going digital. And I remember, for me, I was I had paper files and a, I had digital files and backup backups. paper because yeah, I was so nervous. You couldn't let it go. I couldn't let it go. Nah, so, <laughs> so that was you know three years of doing that. Says that says nothing
0: about your personality. Nothing you realize at all. Not only did you do <laughs> the right amount of work, you did double the amount of
1: work because you know. You, you knew it was going to crash. It didn't. Thank you, Power DMS. But right. um, so I, there's a, it's hard to keep it going. And then again, changes, promotions, you know, make it even more challenging. And then you throw in, you know, again, our state, the legislation created a lot of challenges and a lot of policy updates that had to be done in between. So not only are you maintaining your accreditation, um, you're changing to keep in line with constitutional policing.
0: All right. So as we wrap up here, I got a couple questions. Let me see. You might, might know the answer. You might not. Um, uh, Sue Quinn asks, so what about the States you do not, that have not adopted accreditation? Does post certification qualify? Uh, California has recently passed a law to establish a committee to review revoked post certifications from officers under certain conditions. Um, th- that's, what's your thoughts on that? let
1: well, a post, um, is generally gonna be different than accreditation. So post is your, is more our individual officer certification where, um, accreditation is going to be, you know, a, for your whole department. So that'll be kind of different things. I mean, there's obviously a lot of the information from POST we use in accreditation, but those are going to be slightly different. You know, for the states that don't have it, I want to say there's 17 right now that don't have accreditation. Uh, I don't have a state accreditation program. You know, a lot of the they turn towards CLIA. Yeah,
0: and, and that's what we do with, with if we are have a policy project here at DLG Policy Center, for a state that does not have state accreditation, we automatically use the Calia accreditation. Um, and sometimes, very they're very similar anyway, um, and because they all came from the same place and yeah, originally, right? they all came originally, from the same place. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, Daniel asked a question, um, and I and I don't know this because even though we spent a lot of time looking at the use of force standards of the thirty states that passed reform legislation, off top of your head, do you know any other states that uh, that had mandated accreditation application? Um, other than Connecticut?
1: I would say Nebraska um, mandated it, and Florida, although they didn't mandate it, they um, kind of highly encouraged it in their legislation, still voluntary. But I want to say the only two states that have talked about it being mandatory were Nebraska and Connecticut.
0: Okay. Uh, here in Connecticut, with the, the state statute uh, making in the police accountability bill Making it, um, the bill does not specify you should be CALIA or state accredited. Where does that stand? Well, actually, it does, um, and that comes from Tracy. The bill, as it stands right now, does say CALIA accreditation yes. under House Bill 2006. Um, so uh, there is some movements to try to make that state-based accreditation just because uh, it would be a lot um, for all the departments in the state to, to meet a CALIA accreditation standard. But right now it is clear. Am I accurate in that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, it is CALIA. There obviously is discussion. Um, it's Chiefs of police and other organizations talking about it. You know, We hope to see our, the state program survive. Obviously, it's, it's a fantastic program. Um, we're working on in, in different committees at post-council to uh, strengthen the policy and make sure it's, it's up-to-date and relevant as it can possibly be in hopes that it does um, make it through this legislative session, which we found out today that it, it should it's be there. A, it's on the agenda. It's on the agenda.
0: So if we've been pushing it here at DLG with our, you know, using lobbyists and, and our, our friends in the different parts of the legislature to see if we can at least, we just want to have a conversation. That's all. We want them to understand what the difference is and what they're mandating. Um, there was a question uh, Melissa asked about federal grants Requiring accreditation in order to qualify for the grant, um, Melissa. I did talk about that. Um, so that was in the George Forum Reform Bill, a Jordan George, George Floyd Reform Bill that did not pass the Senate and died as of December 31st. There was some some guidance as to uh, federal grants being directly related to accreditation. As you all know, the the White House has put out just uh, three weeks ago that the president is going to now because of. The, my opinion, because the George Floyd Reform Bill did not make it out of the Senate, that he is uh, he has already said that he's going to, and um, he's already meeting with IACP and other organizations because he's going to do an executive order. The question we have is whether any of that language will will come through on the executive order or when that executive order is coming out. So we don't know that yet. Stay tuned. Obviously, when an executive order comes out from the president, you're guaranteed that we're going to have a webinar about that here. Um, if you haven't followed us or anything else, you know that we don't let stuff like that go by, that's for sure. Our job is to make sure that uh, you are updated as, as possible. So, Joe, with that, um, well, i okay, got a couple of other questions that came in. Uh, basic, basic, basic. Um, and a lot of people are asking great questions, and I do appreciate it. A lot of questions coming in are saying, hey, how can we get this to our CEO to watch? How can we get this to our town manager to watch? How can we get this to our police commission to watch? A ton of questions coming in that. I will tell you that as soon as this is over uh, with our technology platform, it will be a a readily available video and you will be able to then just share the video link. Sean, if I got that correctly, right? Share that video link and and you can share it with everybody uh, that you want to. Uh, Again, we do this, uh, to make sure people understand things and, and we want you to understand this it 's not it 's not here about we 're not going to tell you war stories we 're not going to tell you uh some secret sauce that you can use to get past this we 're going to tell you it 's not easy it costs a ton of money it requires dedication and it requires everybody in the department to be on board for it in order to do it and I think I took away your closing argument but
1: it 's doable <laughs> i mean i got to it minute. is doable it is yes. doable it is um exit. And you're probably doing a lot of it right now. It's just documenting to the accreditation way. And that's one thing that um, when I've had a chance to get in front of groups, I've said that over and over is it is doable. You're doing it. I know you're doing it. We are the cops in this country are fantastic. They're extraordinary. Overall, our departments are are top notch. There's no problem. I mean, listen, we've been tasked to handle every problem in the country that's ever come down the pike. So I know we can do it. I know you're doing it. But you just got to document it the right way. And that's the challenge. Again, we don't like to document all this stuff. And that's where, again, your friends in the pack and everywhere else can help you get those forms and documents and, and get it done and prove it. Cause I know you, we know you can.
0: Yeah. And we know that there may be a bunch of you in not law enforcement on the call. We deal with correctional agencies. We deal with uh, sheriff's departments with police departments, uh, accreditation and across the board in different areas and and i'll leave, give it to put it back to you for closing thoughts as we wrap this up
1: well one uh, thanks for spending time with us and, and listen to us talk about this um like eric said we're gonna have a couple other trainings coming up uh, we're looking right now at february 22nd to be a uh a one day we'll start a little bit later 10 o'clock so the so yeah. those of you on the west coast can join us at, at a reasonable hour um and still get done in time for our east coasters to make it to dinner yeah
0: so Absolutely. we're gonna
1: do that on the 22nd starting at 10 a.m eastern um, again it's going to be free we're going to sit down we're going to go into a lot of detail about all these subjects and then from that we're going to lead into a eight-week class uh, which is going to be probably two two to three hours uh, every i think we have it set up for tuesdays from april sixth through about may 25th and it's going to be a class similar if you've taken the ia classes here uh, forum questions we're going to have some sort of um, project towards the end to show that you're we talk about training, how important it is to prove that you're doing it. Right. Uh, but we're going to work on that. So what we want to make sure is, is if this is going to be the mandate and this is going to be what, what people are asking for, we want to help you do it. And so that's, um, you know, we're excited to bring those to you. It's going to be from right here in DLG, DLG headquarters, studios. DLG studios. <laughs> so, um, you know, reach out as, as you, know, you have our emails. If you have questions along the way, just reach out like, again. we're always happy to, yeah. to share.
0: I mean, that's what we do here, you know, and for those of you, uh, that don't know us, you know, our goal is one stop shopping to assist any agencies with uh, their needs, policy, training, testing, consulting services. That's what we do. That's our mission. Uh, I will wrap this up by saying thank you uh, to all of you that are dedicated to making your departments better, to making your departments more effective, to making your departments operational, operationally sound. Um, people don't tell you enough. Uh, thank you for all the hard work that you do. And we know how hard it is because we do it for a daily job here. And so on behalf of all the men and women at DLG, staff and contractors, we thank you. We wish you uh, well. We hope that you're safe. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you very much for participating.